We're not just saying goodbye to 2019. We're saying goodbye to the last 10 years of hockey. On January 1st, believe it or not, we're done with the 2010s and plunging straight forward into the 2020s. But before we do that, it's time to sit back and reflect on the past 10 years. So we will ask a bunch of questions, including who is the best goalie, the best forward, the best blue liner, the best team. And if you had to pick the most memorable moment, what would it be? Episode 199, the last of 2019 starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Uh, before we get started, um, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Merry whatever, um, yeah. Happy Hanukkah uh, to everyone celebrating whatever their celebration might be during this time of year. Hope it is going great. Hope it is filled with hockey. And uh, wishing you all the best uh, for the year ahead. But, uh, yep. Brett, we're also kicking off a new decade. And before we do that, we figure we uh, break down the very best of the 10 years that was. Yeah, for sure. Um, also, happy holidays and all that stuff. It is. I always forget about the World Juniors in this time of the year. And then, like, yeah. I, I like... It's like it's just that little mini break in you know between Christmas and the New Year's where I'm like, oh, there's no hockey, and then all of a sudden I realize, <laughs> like, box, like it's like Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. I'm like, oh, I need some hockey in my life, and then like Boxing Day is like comes, and I'm like, oh right, the World Juniors. Um, so um, I'm sure it's even more magnified in Canada, but. Uh, that's oh, also yeah. going on now. Um, anyway, so yeah, so we have five uh, five little awards here. Um, so the best forward of the decade, the best defenseman of the decade, the best goaltender of the decade. I decided to add a, another subjective one here, um, and I think you'll know which one I'll pick for this one. But what was my your favorite moment of the decade? Um, what was your best team of the decade? Um, yeah, and this could be this could get contested contested a lot here. I'm sure that, I think that's the right word. But um, so we'll start with the who was the best forward of the decade. Um, I think I'll just go first here. Um, so I I kind of I looked thanks to Hockey Reference they have like a player season finder index and they give you like the lit you can like specify it so i found out who has the most points from 2010 uh to 2019 um in this regular season playing forward um and then i sorted it by points um so patrick kane has the most points um he's also the fourth in uh in goals um he has exactly 300 goals um, in this decade, um, obviously you can say something about, uh, he, he had, he had a couple of controversies off the ice, but there's no denying that he's phenomenal on the ice. Um, and also a true tell is like, even when the teams are bad, um, 
he, you know, he was still like, he was still contributing. He was still producing points. Um, he's probably the best American hockey player um, of all time. I, I'll say it right now. Um, and he's still going. He's, he's still pretty good. Um, so that's my pick for Patrick Kane. Uh, before I get to the honorable mentions here, who is your pick for the best forward of the decade? Well, I am going to completely blindside you with my prediction, and it is also Patrick Kane. Oh, I thought I thought you were actually so, going to blindside me. <laughs> no, no, not yet. Okay. I'm I'm sure we're going to disagree at some point, but okay. I'm in agree agreeance with you, and I'll add uh, to as to why I picked him. But uh, you did have some honorable mentions. Oh, do you so want me to go with that I'm, first? I'm, I'm I'm curious to know. If you didn't pick Patrick Kane, who would you have uh, okay. chosen? Uh, so, some of the other options. So, there are a lot. So the, the other thing that I always look to is uh, when I was looking at this hockey reference page is like the points per game. And that was like my deciding factor. Um, so Connor McDavid has the most points per game with 1.33. Um, of course, that's absurd. But since he's only played for half the decade, it's kind of impossible for me. But... Uh, he was. Um, it's still pretty crazy when you think about it. Yeah, now. exactly. That he's that insane. Uh, that he has the most points per game, even though he only has played for four uh, seasons, basically. So, um, so he was one of mine. I um, mean, also uh, these other two guys that you may have heard of, and they had a bit of a rivalry going. But uh, Sidney Crosby, um, he had two cups. Um, he's been, you know, he's second on this points per game list, um, with 1.23 McDavid has 1.33. Um, and then my other guy, uh, Alex Ovechkin, uh, he's the only player, the only player who has 400 or more goals, um, in this decade. Uh, the next closest is Steven Stamkos with 333. So that stat alone, uh, should put him up high there because uh, that's you know he also won a cup this year or you know in this decade um so that stat alone should uh put him up with uh with Kane Crosby and McDavid as well yeah for sure I definitely think um that when you look at Ovechkin at the end of the day he he, he would be I'm sure a lot of people's picks just because the amount of goals he scored yep. like since the 2015-16 season since the start of that season the only guy with 200 goals is Ovechkin mm -hmm. and he's also 10th in NHL scoring during that stretch and closing in on his mid-30s like you said he's won a Stanley Cup yep. uh, with the Capitals and you look at Crosby's resume and obviously from 2011 to 2013 he was impacted by all those concussions and there was a lot of uncertainty as to how good he was going to be so obviously it's tough to ignore Crosby's accolades as well but um, in terms of dynamic players from start to finish um, I would say Patrick Kane is the most dominant because mm -hmm. if you look at the Hawks since the start of the 2015-16 season uh, that's coming into that season they were fresh off their third Stanley Cup title in six years and since then they haven't been so good they've either been a first round exit or out of the playoffs altogether and during that stretch of hockey from 2015-16 to today 
we have seen a combination of wear and tear and simply age catching up with people uh, in several variations on that Hawks team. We saw it with uh, Duncan Keith, for example, and you see it in his offensive stats. This year doesn't even have 10 points um, in the 30 games he has played. You know, there was a time where he would average like 40 to 50 a year. Uh, Brent Seabrook, um, multiple times in the past two years, he has been a healthy scratch, and maybe um, the injuries that came to light this past week have played a role in that. But in whatever whatever the case may be, Seabrook wasn't playing up to par. He wasn't playing as good a hockey as he was in his prime. Uh, Corey Crawford hit hard by concussions and the hands of time as well. Jonathan Taves, to a lesser extent, but to some extent, also not immune to this form of regression. Doesn't matter to Patrick Kane because honestly, since the start of the 2015-16 season, Patrick Kane has not only played good hockey, he has played some of the best hockey he's ever played. He has been that dominant. You look at 2015-16 alone, 287 shots, 106 points, 46 goals, career highs in all three categories. And yeah, he had Panarin, but he still got to a level of hockey that he had never played before. Uh, the next year, 2016-17, 292 shots on goal, 34 goals, 89 points to his name. 2017-18, we saw a slight regression, but he still got 285 shots, 27 goals, 76 points. Pretty good year. And then we get to last year, 44 goals, 110 points, and 341 shots on goal. Coupled with the resurgent year from Taves and the emergence of Stroman to Brinkett, but by then Panarin was long gone, long out of the picture. If it wasn't for Patrick Kane, the Hawks would be in major rebuild mode right now. But it it honestly doesn't matter the circumstance. Patrick Kane, when he knows it's showtime, he brings it. And it should also be noted in five of his last 10 or 11 seasons, He's played in 80-plus games. Yeah. So not only has he shown up to play, but he's been ready to play for pretty much start to finish every single season he's played in during this stretch. And to this point this year, in his first 39 games, he had 20 goals and 47 points, 139 shots. So he's on pace for yet another big year. So... When I take a look at those stats and what then I compare it to the fact that he's almost at 800 points for this decade, the fact that he's one of the best goal scorers of this decade, when you look at his three Stanley Cup titles, I look at players that time and time again, year after year, continue to bring it no matter what the circumstance. And no matter what the circumstance has been, Patrick Kane, when the lights have been right on him square on him he's delivered and that's what i took into when i thought of the best forward of the decade and that's why patrick kane because time and time again when he's been called upon he's delivered yeah uh, of course and it also helps that he has you know the most points of this decade out of any forward group and Mm -hmm. essentially every uh every player um, yeah. Also, I should note that Claude Giroux also has 700 points. Uh, there are only four players who have 700 points in this decade. Uh, 
three of which we've already mentioned, Patrick Kane, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, and Claude Giroux. Felt like I should mention Claude Giroux because he seems like he's been a little bit underrated. Um, there was that yeah. one year that, that he was like he was phenomenal. Like I think he had like seventy five points, and then he's kind of like drawn back a bit. But um, but yeah, I felt I felt like that was worth mentioning. That uh, Claude Giroux is another one that uh, should be mentioned as well. Yeah. Um, okay, so now we go to defensemen. Um, I'll let you go first on this one, uh, and I have a feeling that we're going to say the same person again. I will, we'll see about that. Uh, um, my choice is Roman Yossi. Um, really? Okay. I did not even have Roman Yossi. For the Predators. Yeah, okay. Uh, see, yeah, I see, I, I had a feeling this is where we disagree uh, a little bit here, but but I'll, I'll, explain, my, I'll right. explain my point. But, but yeah, uh, th- this is I'll, – I'll be perfectly honest. When you look at the point spread for defensemen this decade, Roman Yossi is probably a bit of a shocker to anyone who thinks he might be the best defenseman of this yeah. decade. And, 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 that's, and that's why I came prepared here because there are, I'm sure, a handful of defensemen that yeah. you would probably take over Roman Yossi as the top player in the decade. But uh, here's – Here's why I say Roman Yossi. So this year, first of all, he has 39 points in 38 games. Okay. Um, I'm 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 just in, and I'm just thinking, you know, that's impressive when you consider that he's two goals shy of setting a new career high in goals in a season. He's already at at 14. I believe the career high for him is 15. So he needs two to set a new career high. Um. He just needs one more point to secure his seventh straight season with at least 40 points. Presumably, he'll get around 50 or 60 this year, and maybe more than that, uh, depending on how um, the second half of the season plays mm-hmm. out. Um, but the thing about Roman Yossi, while I do realize that someone like John Carlson is over 400 points, while I do realize that Eric Carlson is 15 points shy of 600 for this decade, and while I also take into account that um, those guys are in the top five in defensive scoring, along with Keith Yandel, the thing that really gets me about Roman Yosti is his overall game, his overall game and what he brings. Yep. Consider this. Since the start of the 2015-16 season amongst NHL defensemen, Roman Yossi has 253 giveaways, 37th most in the league. Yeah, that's crazy. He has averaged 25 minutes and 6 seconds of ice time per game, ninth highest in the league, and higher than John Carlson, who, again, top five scorer amongst NHL defensemen in this decade. He has logged more minutes than John Carlson in this decade. Um, he's blocked 629 shots, 17th overall amongst defenders since 2015-16. You take a look at someone named Brent Burns and Dougie Hamilton. They're the only ones not named Roman Yossi since 2015-16 amongst NHL defensemen with at least 1,000 shots. In the past four plus seasons, only three guys have done it. Brent Burns, Dougie Hamilton, Roman Yossi. Since 2015-16, 
since the start of that season. Roman Yossi is third in goals with 69, fifth in points with 258. Nashville's power play, don't know if you know, hasn't always been great, but he's still in the top 20 in power play goals, still in the top 20 in power play points with this Nashville Predators team. He has been a critical piece of their blue line since the departure of Shea Weber, who I don't know if you guys knew, like he was the face of the franchise on that blue line and everyone's thinking, who's going to be the leader? Who's going to be the guy that steps up with Shea Weber out of the picture? Yeah. Roman Yossi took all and absolutely ran with it and has become the face of the franchise himself. Mm -hmm. And you look at Roman Yossi in terms of all-time defensemen in points per game, he currently sits 30th with 0 0.639 amongst a list of NHL defenders with at least 250 career points to their name in the NHL. Bobby Orr is the all-time leader with 1.393 points per game, and Roman Yossi is in the top 30 on that list. He has over 1,600 shots this decade, 387 points this decade, 107 total goals this decade, top 20 in all three categories, and he's still top 10 in average TOI per game this entire decade. He's averaged 24-44 of time on ice per game. So... I get that Eric Carlson has brought the numbers. I get that John Carlson has brought the numbers. I get that Keith Yandel has brought the numbers. But in terms of all-around play, Roman Yossi is the best defenseman in this league, in this decade, in my opinion. And it's definitely debatable, but I have said many, many times he's one of the most underrated defensemen in the NHL. Yeah. I don't think he's underrated really? anymore. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, yeah, I guess we know how you think, because I thought for sure, because you've talked about Eric Carlson uh, ad nauseum for mm -hmm. the past five years, ever since we've been doing this podcast. So I thought for sure you were going to pick Eric Carlson. I didn't even have to explain why I thought Eric Carlson was the best defenseman, because you were going to do it for me. Um, but I guess mm -hmm. I'll have to do it myself. Um, so Eric Carlson, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Eric Carlson um, is going away the best defenseman, and that takes a lot from me because uh, early on, um, you know, early on in this decade, it was always Eric Carlson versus Zdeno Chara for the Norris Trophy winner, and I'd always argue that Eric Carlson that has doesn't play defense, um, and that's why and Chara does both, um, and that's why I would argue that. You know, Zdeno Chara was better, which is, by the way, he is on my honorable mentions as well. But uh, Eric, I would have Eric Carlson now because, yes, he uh, he has the most points by far out of 70. He has 75 points more than the next defenseman on this list of the decade. He has 565 points, um, yeah. and Brent Burns has 490 points. Um and, uh, you know, yes, he's been on bad teams, and so he has a minus 35. It depends on how much you take into plus minus. But for me, it always depends on how good a team is, um, your team is. And, you know, Eric Carlson was on pretty bad teams for Ottawa. Um, I mean, there was a couple of years that he was, Ottawa was pretty good this decade as well. 
um, and of course San Jose this year as well. Um, so yeah. he he's not like I guess that is a flaw in his game, but um, as you've mentioned, like he's he's worked on his block shots, um, he's lo- worked on his hits, um, he's he's very good defensively now um, towards the end of his uh, season. And so I feel like that makes up for it for how bad he was defensively early on in his season. And added to that, he is still like putting up points there on the leaderboard. So, you know, and it, I guess there is something to the fact that like, yeah, Brent Burns is there, but um, it also just means that, you know, Brent, uh, Eric Carlson doesn't have to be relied upon on doing what um you know on getting the points for for the sharks um also uh eric carlson on all these lists um except for plus minus like time on ice points per game goals assist um penalty minutes even oh no even penalty minutes never mind but uh like um all these lists that i have here um adjusted points like he is like I feel like so much because he does so much offensively um, that it makes up for what he can do defensively Um, and it's almost like having a fourth forward on the ice Um, and (laughs) the reason that changed my opinion of him was that 20 was it 2016 NHL playoffs when the Bruins played the Senators um and you know that would be uh, the 20 that would be the 2017 playoffs. Oh, 2017 you're right um anyways the 2017 playoffs where like eric Olsen had like a broken leg and he was still the best player in that series yep. um and that's just incredible to me yep. um and it just shows how clutch he is um and also the fact that you were like you know like <laughs> like all these sense fans knew how much how valuable Eric Carlson was. Um, and the fact that like the Sens are one of the worst teams without him, um, even when they had Mark Stone and Mike Hoffman, or uh, not Mike Hoffman, when they had Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne, um, you know, like it, it still shows how much they, um, you know, how much of a difference maker he was on that Ottawa Senators team. He may not be as good as he once was, but, I would still argue that he's he you know he's been so consistent when he's healthy that it, it makes up for it. Um, before do, do you have no a rebuttal? When when it comes when it I comes to offense when my, it comes to offense, there's not a pure gifted defenseman out yep. there, no question about it. But all around defensive game is what won it for me, and Roman Yossi was that. Okay, I I guess I could That's see that. Um, I don't know. I, f- I feel like he does so much offensively that it makes up for what he yeah. he declines in defensively, as you as you know. Yeah. Um, a couple of my honorable mentions: uh, Zdeno Chara. Um, he had, he doesn't put up as much points as he used to in the la- in the later years of this decade, but um, he is definitely like a force to be reckoned with and something that uh nhl hasn't seen in ever like usually like a player that tall doesn't skate that well and and all that stuff but zidane chara is just a beast um and it's 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 an honor just to watch him play 
um, these these past 10 years and hopefully more um, it's also incredible the fact that he's like 40 years old for the later part of his uh, season and it doesn't even seem like he's losing a step so he's an honorable mention but that's more of a personal one Chris Letang was another one that I had here um, the only yeah. issue with Chris Letang is, is he gets injured pretty much every year so yeah Injuries I mean, definitely yeah. hurts him, yeah. And I mean, like, I guess you could say the same for Eric Carlson as well, because, you know, Eric Carlson yeah. now gets injured a lot. But um, I feel like Chris Letang was a big reason why uh, the Penguins won those two cups, um, you know, in 2016 and 2017 um, still. Um, so I, I have him. Um, Brent Burns was another one. Uh, but I guess he's another one where... He's like, it's like he's a fourth forward, but it's also one of those things where, um, you know, he, um, you know, he's so good offensively that he makes up for what he, he can't uh, do defensively. Although Brent Burns is also pretty good defensively as well. He's, uh, he's do dominant on that side as well. Um, and then this is more of like, um, just, uh, just, I feel like it's just an underrated person um, that not a lot of people realize this, but Keith Yandel has the third most points out of defensemen um, in this decade. Um, 473. The next closest, John Carlson, has 4, 4, uh, 447. So, um, so yeah, and, and also not to mention the fact that he's been on so many... Uh, teams in this decade he's been on Arizona the Rangers for a bit and then he's on Florida so that that does it as well um so uh yeah I thought those are my honorable mentions by the way do you have any honorable mentions for defensemen I assume Eric Carlson was one of yours I guess you mentioned John Carlson as well yeah Eric Carlson Eric Carlson for sure is up there uh John Carlson uh, the American is yep. also up there he's top five in points and uh yeah probably give a shout out to, to Keith Yandel as well I, yep. I I wouldn't have Chris Letang on there only because he's injured a lot right. but he's That's he's definitely point. he's definitely close to a top five for me for sure mm -hmm. but uh yeah definitely the two Carlsons uh would would make my honorable mentions yeah. and uh if, if they had a top five defense, if, if that's the route we would have gone, they would both be on it. Um, but um, all around play, um, I think Roman Yossi is one of the best for all rounded. And I stand by my statement that he was the best defenseman of this decade, even though he didn't really make his mark on, until Shea Weber left. So Yeah, I will say, though, that um, I also want to mention Duncan Keith and, uh, and Drew Doughty as well considering the Blackhawks mm -hmm. and the Kings combined for five of the Cups, and they were a big yep. part of that as well. Of course, they're not as good as they once were in the later half of the decade, but um, I figured that they should also be mentioned for their contributions. Yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of in the stratosphere of they would be ranked higher yep. if uh, in the last couple of years they hadn't regressed as much as they have. Yeah, okay. Um, so... I have, so now we go to who was the best goaltender of the decade. Um, this one actually may shock you. Okay. Um, because I'm not picking Tuka Rask here. I'm picking, mm. <laughs> I'm picking Ben Bishop here. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I took a, I had to figure this out, but 
I when I look at like goalies um, stats, I try not to look at their wins. Um, I know that Tuka Rask has a lot of wins, um, and Mark Andre Fleury also. Pekarene is another one, uh, just because like I feel like. Um, I mean, it is important, but it's it's one of those things like a pitcher in baseball. Like, I feel like um, it all depends on if like it's a team, it's a team category. So I have a feeling you're going to go with the win category as a reason why you are who you're going to pick. But if you go by save percentage and gen, uh, goals against average, Ben Bishop has um, is uh, second in save percentage, um, uh, he has 921. He has a 921 save percentage um, in this decade. Uh, the first is Tim Thomas, um, and then he's first in GAA with 2.3. Um, and uh, Tuka Rask has a 920 has a 920 save percentage and a 2.31 GAA, um, which is very very close. Um, yeah, Tuka Rask does have the advantage with wins, but I would argue that the fact that the uh, the Bruins are a much better team than, or like in terms of their forward group um, and defenseman group, um, are a much better team than uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning when Ben Bishop was on it and the Dallas Stars, especially the Dallas Stars. Uh, when he was on it. So, um, cause like there were times when Ben Bishop would carry, uh, the Dallas stars to the playoffs last year. Um, and of obviously Ben Bishop hasn't been healthy. That's a big concern for him, but I would still go with Ben Bishop just because I feel like he, um, he's just a workhorse, uh, when he's healthy and, um, and that like he has slightly better, uh, numbers than Tuka Rask. Um, in this category, I love Tuca. He's my favorite goalie to watch, but I I can't. I feel like Ben Bishop um, is the guy that I would if if you were to tell me like there's a game, um, and you need one goalie to win you this game, I think I would I think I would pick Ben Bishop. Um, before I get it to you, Tuca Rask is my honorable mention. I also have Carey Price here. And Henrik Lundqvist, um, you know, Carey Price and Henrik Lundqvist were the most dominant. There was a time period where there were the like, there were like a brick wall basically every night. Pecorino is another one, uh, just in terms of longevity. Um, there's also an aspect of the fact that like Tuka Rask, uh, sometimes, um, you know, like he's like towards the end of his. You know, this decade he's had to rely on Yaroslav Halak uh, for the load. I mean, I know it's it's Bruce Cassidy's decision, and it is a smart thing to do going forward. But there is it does hinder his um, his uh, nomination uh, abilities. I also want to shout out Tim Thomas because he's also um, a pretty good goalie as well. Um, so. Uh, yeah, um, I'm going with Ben Bishop, but I love Tuca and Tim Thomas. Didn't think you would pick a former senator as your top <laughs> Yeah, I know. Especially when there's two other Bruins that I could have gone with. <laughs> yeah, true. And both were very, very good goals. Yeah. 
Um, probably gonna probably gonna piss off a lot of Bruins fans when I say this. Uh, Carey Price is the best goalie oh, okay. in this decade. Um, and I base my decision on Carey Price when he's on his game with the Montreal Canadiens versus Carey Price when he's either A, not on his game, or B, not in the lineup altogether and what the Habs look like without him. Because we've seen both in this decade, and one is very great, um, and what's very great is when Carey Price is on his game. When he's not on his game and when he's hurt, not playing, whatever, doesn't matter, the... Montreal Canadiens as a team to me they they don't have a chance if Carey Price isn't uh, performing to expectations and and I'll expand upon that you take a look at the Montreal Canadiens right now they have guys like Jonathan Druin, Max Domi, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, Brendan Gallagher, Nick Suzuki, Thomas Tatar as well they're all pretty good players and um, they've offered a lot of offensive depth to that organization. In the past, they had standouts like Max Pacioretty and P.K. Subban. And, you know, if Shea Weber's on his game today, I guess he, he helps uh, make Scary Price's job a bit easier, and he's also contributed offensively too. But with him, ages and the hands of time are, are two uh, factors that need to be weighed when you look at Shea Weber heading into every season. Um, so nothing's a shoe in with Shea Weber anymore. Um, regardless of who the Montreal Canadiens have had on their team to provide offense, all that potential success means absolutely nothing if Carey Price doesn't deliver. There is nobody in that organization right now, outside of perhaps maybe Caden Primo, that you can pull to as a long-term solution between the pipes that is not named Carey Price. They couldn't find it with Antinemi last year. Mike Condon wasn't the answer. Neither was Al Montoya. Neither was Peter Budai. Keith Kincaid um, hasn't proven to be the answer in Montreal either. They rely so much on Carey Price to win hockey games. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. And despite all of that pressure that he has had to play through, Carey Price is fifth in games played in this decade. He's one of five NHL netminders in this decade to appear in 500 games, at least. His 280 wins are the fourth most in the league since January 1st, 2010. He also reached the 2014 Eastern Conference Finals with the Habs. Only one less appearance than Lundqvist and Rask, and the same as Pecorine. He's faced 15,802 shots in this decade, the third most behind only Henrik Lundqvist and Pecorine. His save percentage, outside of a few bad seasons, also at 919, near the same level as Rene and Lundqvist. Tuka Rask, in comparison, is at 921 this decade, and he's only started 479 games. Yeah. So, you know, like you said, Tuka Rask has had the benefit of having Yaroslav Halak on his team. Kerry Price. And Tim Thomas. And and Tim Thomas as well. Carey Price has, whenever he's been healthy, he's been playing in a lot of hockey games in a yep. season. And every single game almost feels like you have to win because the backup goaltending just hasn't been good enough. Yep. And the fact that we know how much of a difference he is to this Habs team when he's on the ice and what happens when he's potentially absent from the play is all I need to know when making this decision. He is the best goalie in the NHL in this decade, and it's no contest. 
Um, in terms of honorable mentions, I have a few. Um, obviously, would be remiss if I didn't mention Henrik Blomqvist in the same breath as Carey Price. Yep. Um, he had a shutdown pairing, pairing of uh, Girardi and McDonough in the early part of this decade, so that was a help to him. But there were still a lot of times where, because of the lack of offense, the Rangers needed a good goaltending performance from Henrik Lundqvist. Yeah. And more often than not, he delivered. He would stop 35, 40, however many shots he would to give his team the win. And he had that Carey Price ability of stealing a hockey game yep. and his team a win when they had no business winning a game. But in his tenure with the Rangers this decade, he had Antti Ranta as his backup. He had Cam Talbot as his backup. Nowadays, he has Alex Georgiev. Down the road, it could be uh, Shazjurkin. So he's had some capable backups that have helped him make his life easier. And I think that is part of the reason why I didn't include him on this, on, on, on the lone recipient as best goalie, is simply because he had that shutdown pairing and he had capable support backing him up. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't take away from his 299 wins in this decade. It, what Henrik Lundqvist has done in this decade is also worth boasting about. Like his lowest single season save percentage came last year, and it was 907. Like that's how consistent King Henrik has been. And um, I would be very remiss if I didn't mention him. Uh, another honorable mention, Pecorine. He's faced the second most shots in this decade. But again, a lot of great defenders. Uh, P.K. Subban, um, Matthias Ekholm, Ryan Ellis, Ryan Suter for a couple of years, Shea Weber in his prime, and of course, Roman Yossi. Um, I wouldn't put him first because of the slight regression he's had lately, Um, but he's still a pretty good goaltender and definitely top five in this league. Marc-Andre Fleury, he struggled a little bit in the early part of this decade with Pittsburgh, particularly in the playoffs, but kind of found his game back again since uh, joining the Vegas Golden Knights. Done some great things with that team. Um, I wouldn't put him first because of the amount of times he kind of cost the Penguins a little bit. He wasn't always on top of his game, and I think to be the most consistent lights out goaltender you need to provide that consistent level of quality goaltending and there was a point in time in this decade where Fleury wasn't doing that and yeah. it cost him his job a couple of times and of course your guy Tuka Rask I mean he has Pasternak to work with he has Brad Marchand to work with he has Patrice Bergeron to work with um Chera Halak all that jazz he's still been a very good goaltender yep but they can win games without Tuka Rask now Carey Price and the Montreal Canadiens they need him to deliver and they need him in the lineup or else it's going to be the same damn storyline every time yeah I didn't realize this though like Tuka Rask is like the main reason why I was comparing Tuca with Ben Bishop was because they're like neck and neck with save percentage and GAA um, and all that stuff. And Tuca Rask has more wins. So you could theoretically mention it um, to Michael Fedler <coughs> um, if you uh, 
uh, for that in terms of like the stats and stuff. But it also you have to take into account that he's been on a really good team as well, and the fact that there's you know Tim Thomas, Yaroslav Halak, um, and all that stuff as well. So he's also been a part of three playoff runs that have at least gone to the Stanley Cup Finals right. in this decade. Yeah, which not too many goalies can say. Although Michael Felger would say he hasn't been the starting goalie, um, and he's not clutch in, in, in the yeah. in the lone playoff series that went to the finals and they won. He wasn't the guy, no. Right. And the other two instances, they're going to argue, oh, he was zero and two. Right. He was, he was still one win away from and, the Stanley Cup Finals in one of them, and in the other, he was two wins away. Right, and he was a big reason why they were even there in the first place. So yeah. Um, also, I, I wanted to mention that I don't think either one of us mentioned, but Braden Holtby is another one. Um, yep. He was slow to start at the beginning of this decade, but he picked it up, and I guess he's he's not as good as he once was, but uh, there was a time when he was the best goaltender in the league. Um, also, same, same with Price uh, as yeah. well. And, and Lundqvist, too, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And then the other one that, oh, and Braden Holtby has a cup as well which Price and yep. Lundqvist don't have. Um, also, uh, there is a couple of other ones that I wanted to mention, but they haven't played a full decade, um, so it's a little unfair, but uh, John Gibson is one. Um, if he had played a full uh, a full decade, he'd probably be considered. Um, and also, Vasilevsky is another one, um, and there was another one who I'm blanking on. Hellebuck, I guess, as well, but uh, they're all young and they haven't played a full decade, but I thought that would be uh, worth mentioning. Frederick, Frederick Anderson, maybe. Frederick Anderson's could be another, another one. one. Yeah, you know it's interesting. Now that we're listing all these goalies, it's like I feel like this decade is basically was basically just the year it's of the a goalie. Tough, it's a tough list. Yeah, because you have like the old guy. Oh, Bobrovsky was another one that we didn't even mention because uh, he was pretty good too. So you know you have. Like the old guys with Lundqvist, Tuca, uh, Pekka, Rene, uh, Fleury, and then Price, and then you have like Ben Bishop, uh, you know, <laughs> we forgot Tim Thomas who didn't play a ton, um, but like he would be up there, um, you know, and then you have the young guys as Gibson, Vasilevsky, um, Hellebuck, uh, Anderson, yeah, it's just like, it's a pretty good year for a pretty good decade for goaltenders. I mean, I guess it it speaks to the fact that scoring uh, was lower in general this decade compared to other decades. So I think that had a part of it. But um, yeah. So, but like it, it does seem and, like and also don't forget Jonathan Quick as well. Oh, Quick's another one. That's a good Quietly one too. Won two Stanley Cups. And I guess Corey Crawford, who has won three Stanley Cups. Yeah, um, Matt Murray. <laughs> yeah, like like Matt you Murray. said, to add to your He's point, there were a lot of goalies yeah. uh, too, and and there were a lot of you know low key additions that emerged, like um, Jordan Bennington. You could argue maybe Craig Anderson, like yeah, in Craig the top Anderson. twenty at least. Yeah, I don't know if I would go that far, but yeah, that's another good one. But yeah, I think it it just goes to show. I think it's more that goaltending has just gotten better um, in general. Yeah. Um, and that's why you're seeing so many 
uh, big time goalies. I mean, Robin Leonard is another one who's recently, but uh, he's always had good yeah, numbers. Yeah, towards the latter even, half of this decade, especially. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, he's even like the wins sometimes weren't there for him, especially when he was on Buffalo. But you know, his save percentage and his GAA were uh, unbelievable too. So, um, yeah, it's. I think this is just the year of the goaltender, or the decade of the goaltender, I should say. All right, uh, so now we go to our favorite moment of the decade. Um, it was kind of funny here because originally I had the 2013 Bruins-Leafs Game 7 where they come back from 4-1. to <laughs> And then I started to think about it. It's like, wait a second, the Bruins won the Cup in this decade. So I ha- by obligation, I have to put the Bruins Cup win but it was like a, it was weird. That just shows how much I love that moment because I had to choose, like, I almost forgot about the cup win that, um, that, it, that the 2013 coming back from behind game seven. I remember thinking that, like, oh, we should just blow it up. I can't believe we're like, you know, we won the cup like two years ago. We should just blow it up and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, where you know, I, I just remember my wa- long walk back to my dorm room because I had given up. I had some like a paper to do um, and studying to go for. And then all of a sudden, like I just I couldn't stop like checking the score just to make sure that the Bruins actually did lose. And then all of a sudden they're they're winning, and I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> and so then I turned it on, and then all of a sudden the rest is history. Um, like it just is more just the the changing of emotions where I was like so depressed about the team and then all of a sudden I was like this is the greatest team of all time um so, so wait, you you were saying you were saying they won this is the game against Toronto right yes this is the game against Toronto I'll get to the cup okay, win so- I'm going with the cup win as my favorite moment but right I I right, do want to say I- that the like the on an emotional level the Bruins Leafs game seven was oddly more emotional for me <laughs> than the cup win, just because I was like, I don't know, I guess because for the cup win, I thought that, you know, because it's one of those things where you're like, okay, the Canucks are a good team. Um, it was a great, phenomenal series, you know, um, it was probably the most intense series of this decade. Um, for sure, because like you know, that you had uh, Burroughs biting Bergeron's uh, finger. Then you had that Rome uh, blindside hit to uh, Nathan Horton. Um, yeah, I forgot about that. You had Roberto Luongo saying like, um, you know, he's it's no, or you had Tim Thomas saying that it wasn't Luongo's job to uh, pump his tires when Luongo criticized, like, sort of criticized Tim Thomas. It just had everything, like, the drama and stuff. But, like, there was, like, an instance where I was, like, you know, the Canucks are, like, a really good team. They, like, I I was kind of, like, you know, it was, like, a big moment that, you know, I thought, like, maybe the Canucks would win and win game seven. So I was, like, kind of preparing for that. Whereas for especially 20... considering the home team won yeah. every game and every game in Vancouver was decided yeah. by a goal. So so that was like my the greatest moment of my life, um, but it's also was one of those things where I had that like, like I had already kind of partially accepted that maybe 
the Canucks are going to win. So that's where, but like from the Bruins Leafs thing, I like did not give the Leafs an, a chance the entire series. And then that just until game seven, when they were up four one where I was like, Oh my God, we actually are going to lose to the Toronto Maple Leafs, the team that's like, that like tanked, you know, that like is like traded us, um, Tyler Sagan and, and Dougie Hamilton, you know, the team that like somehow like was the laughing stock for the last like three years, all of a sudden they're going to beat the Bruins where we've had their number this whole time. And I was just thinking like, Oh my God, the Leafs are actually going to beat us. Um, until so, so so when when you saw did you actually see the overtime winner or are you just checking it on your phone oh no no by so what happened was it was 4-1 i i it was like i was at a friend's place to watch the the game and then when we saw it was 4-1 it was like the middle of finals week so i was walking home he's not as big of a bruins fan but like he was like i was walking home and i was just saying like you know, I have this paper to do. I have some studying to do. Um, so I was walk. I remember walking home, um, and then I was like, you know, once I got home, I checked the computer and I saw that it was four two. Um, I have a TV in my room, and then you know, I was like, sort of like, I was like, all right, like maybe it's gonna be something, but I, I have a feeling we can't. You know, like I can't get my hopes up. Um, so then I start studying for a bit. Then I keep my eye on the, the score tracker. Then once it was 4-3, I did turn on the TV. And then my eyes were glued because I think there was like five minutes left at that point. Um, and then I was like, all right, I'm going to study after this. <laughs> and then they tie. So I saw the game tying goal and then the the entire overtime. Yeah. But um, But yeah, so... <laughs> without going too far because I could talk about these two games forever <laughs> but um, yeah I, I'll go with the cup win just because it was the greatest day of my life um, but uh, the in terms of the emotions I'm going with the Bruins Leafs game 7 other honorable mentions uh, the Golden Knights first year I think that's something that we'll never forget uh, also Phil Kessel's first um Stanley Cup win that was a big one um and I also love it when new teams win so the LA Kings their first win was uh was pr yep. pretty big the Capitals and begrudgingly the Blues um so I like it when new teams win that's always fun and then of course like even like 2010 when the Blackhawks won their first cup in a in a long time so um that was special as well so um, yeah, those are my honorable mentions. Um, what what were your favorite moments? So um, before I get to that, uh, I'm gonna get kind of pretty real for a second. Um, also, arguably the the most tragic moment um, was the humble Broncos bus oh. crash. But the best moment probably has to be how the hockey community responded in the days That's following that bus crash, and I'm sure. It's still relatively fresh in everyone's minds, even though it happened April 6, 2018. Just a normal day, no snowstorms in Saskatchewan, just a normal bus ride for the Humboldt Broncos, going to a playoff game where if they didn't win, they'd be eliminated. And their season instead ends in tragedy when the bus collides with a massive truck, 
over a dozen fatalities, including the coach, the captain, the starting goalie. And there were others that survived, but those survivors carried physical and emotional scars with them. And only two of the people on that team went on to play the next season. Um, the hockey community at large, especially in the age of social media, where we really get to see it in person, reacted in such a powerful way, whether it was donations, messages of support, you name it, they brought it. And me personally, I had never seen a story like this unfold yeah. before in my life. And, you know, it did happen before with the Swift Current Broncos, but that was in the late 80s. It wasn't in the age of social media at the time. I wasn't even born at that time. Um, I think in 08 or 09, we saw an incident in New Brunswick that kind of you know, gripped the sports community a little bit, but I was... I wasn't really, I wasn't really following the world of sports at large, so I didn't really fully grasp that. But like, this just really hits you, even though you don't know any of these people. It really, really hits you, and um, and it's gonna stick with my memory forever. And just the reaction of the hockey community, the resolve of the survivors that remain here, is something so powerful, and you just you just feel connected to them in the way and you feel moved by their story, just very powerful stuff. So it wasn't really the best moment of the decade, but definitely a moment throughout all this, through all of the, throughout all of the hockey stories and championships, it, it's something I'll never forget. So on a, on a very real note, I would say the most powerful moment is the humble Broncos. The okay. best moments. There were a couple uh, that I'll put in my honorable mentions. Uh, obviously, the Sens making that unexpected run, even though it didn't end the way that a lot of Sens fans hoped, yep. it was still great to be a part of because it came out of the middle. Of the, it came out of the middle of nowhere, basically. Yeah. We did. We we the residents, the people of Ottawa, didn't expect that to happen. We weren't expecting a conference finals run that almost extends to the Stanley Cup finals, and we're like, oh crap, we actually might have a chance at winning the first championship okay. in the history of our modern franchise. And it didn't happen, obviously. Pittsburgh ended up getting a goal in double OT to ruin that. But I, I wasn't really crushed by that when I saw it where I, I was just kind of like in admiration after a loss. One of the few times where I was just like, like well, that sucks, but what a run. What an, what an ending. What a run this team gave us. And it was, it was something special that I always cherish. Um, as a Sens fan, especially considering where the Sens are at now, I'll cherish even more um, because there was a lot to like about that run. Um, and Eric Carlson playing on one leg, as you said, yeah. uh, that was one of the best playoff performances I've ever seen in my life. Was just not just what he did in the Boston series, but throughout that whole playoffs was amazing. Yeah. Um, I would also like to put. Um, Vancouver 2010, Sidney Crosby, the golden goal, oh, right I up there. I knew you were going to go with that one. That's probably my least favorite one. Yeah, I, uh, I figured it would be. Um, uh, I, I have PTSD I on that. that. Yeah, I have PTSD there. <laughs> Even though I do remember the 2002 win over the U.S., yep. um, but I that 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 one that one was when I was like nine ten years old probably yeah. eight nine ten years old so like it didn't have as big of an impact on me as the 2010 championship right. did um 
So for that reason, I would definitely say. I just wish I could have any of them. You're so like, <laughs> like oh, yeah, it wasn't yeah. as good as when I was ten years old, but I'll take this one. Like, come on, it, man! It, it, it's just you're just rubbing just in my face here. It, it's just something like I, the fact that it was on home soil probably yeah. is what did it for me, because in in 2002, I believe that was in Salt Lake City. But in 2010, this was Vancouver. This was home soil. Yeah. Like every Canadian was watching this game. It, it was just incredible to, to I, just watch, and it was it was just such a historic Olympics for Canada. I just as well. remember thinking like it just had to be Crosby. It just had to be him. Like I was, I was just, <laughs> I was just so annoyed by that. It's, it's like I I loved Sidney Crosby, and I'm just like it just had to be Sidney Crosby because it's like. It was one of the but, few but times where I was rooting against him. Was, again, and I was just like, playing. it just had to be Crosby. Uh, I just kept saying that to to everyone. Or in the goal itself. Yeah. Like like Jerome McGinley was clutch on. Yeah. Like um, and then I would probably have to say as well. Um. On a personal note, for me, the Ottawa 67s going to the OHL fond that close to a championship, and that was really fun to observe the playoffs with 14 straight wins. Like, who does that? Like, yeah. I don't care whatever level of hockey you've watched. If if somebody pulled off 14 straight wins to start a playoffs, um. You would you would do a lot of things, I'm sure, to to be a part of that moment. So yeah, okay, yeah, those are good lists. I don't have as much um, of a that was pretty special. Even though they oh, lost sorry. four straight, didn't win the title, didn't go to the Memorial Cup, that was definitely a playoff run that I'll remember for the rest of my life as well. Okay, so uh, those three moments are up there, but uh, Bronco story is for me. Okay, honestly, uh, it's t- it's tough to pinpoint it to just one memory. Because there's yeah. so much that's happened over the past ten years, where you're just like, oh yeah, that happened. You right. know, like it, it. It's really tough to like pinpoint it down to just a few memories when oh, there's stuff sure. from like 2011, 2012 that you you don't remember happened until you do some digging and you realize, oh yeah, that was pretty neat. Well, for me, it was more just I I just wanted to get in the fact that the Bruins won for uh, beat the Leafs four to one. Um, and also uh, that the Bruins won a cup. Um, so that, that was pretty much yeah. the only reason why I included this this question. But you're right. there There's yeah, thousands of moments. It, it's, it's a, it's, I think most of our choices are personal, yeah. are, are based on personal experiences. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think... I think just for hockey at large, it's it's why I chose Humboldt. It was, it was yeah. more than, than just us as like Bruins and Sens fans, like it impacted everybody. So. For sure. Um, I was going to also, I thought you were going to mention the um, John Scott maybe in your honorable mentions. Yeah, but that was actually another one that I thought about. John Scott yeah. at the All-Star game. That was a good one. Okay. Uh, we should get going though on what was the best team of the decade. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it was a toss up for me because um, it was either the uh, 2013 Chicago Blackhawks. They're the only team to win the cup 
Um, yeah, and with it might have president. been a lockout year, but that team yeah. was super dominant. And they had the, the President's Trophy. They had that streak to start the year. Uh, the only reason why I'm not picking them, though, is because of that lockout shortened year. Um, I feel like it's like, yeah, they were a good team and they probably would have won the cup even if there were 82 games played. But I feel like it just takes it away that they only had to play half the year. Um, not bitter at all, by the way. <laughs> um, but, uh, so I'm going to go with the 2016-2017 Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, they did kind of start slow to start the year, to be fair. But once they got going, it was like almost unfair. The fact that you had like Phil Kessel, you had Evgeny Malkin, you had Sidney Crosby, you had Chris Letang. Um, and then you got to see like the res- like uh, like Matt Murray, this rookie goaltender. Um, you had Chris Letang, you know, it's just unbelievable. They had like guys like Nick Bonino, um, on the line, uh, Chris Kunitz. Um, remember, like, the uh, they had the HPK line with uh, Kessel, Bonino, and, uh, and Haglin. Um, so, like, uh, they were they were unstoppable. It, it didn't even, like, it's just, it was almost unfair the fact that they were able to have, like, three superstars all, all on the same team. And, it, and they had so many injuries, too. Um, that year as well. I mean, they usually do have a ton of injuries, but just the fact that they can like battle through adversity, that it didn't even matter how many injuries they had um, to any of their players. There's the fact that they were like, <laughs> they were uh, they were rolling um, even once they got Mike Sullivan um, in the um, in the arena there. So yeah, the 2013 is another one. Um, I'd also. Um, it's tough for like me to, as much as I love the 2011 Bruins team. It's tough for me to uh, put them up here because, um, you know, <laughs> Claude Julian was almost fired that year. I, I remember so, um, but uh, so there's that. Uh, Vancouver Canucks uh, were also like they won the President's Trophy that year, but um, it just wasn't enough. Uh, the and then. Uh, yeah, the 2012 Kings were another one, but like I think that had more to do with the playoffs, where like you know they barely made the playoffs, and then once they did, they uh, got rolling. But um, and like they had like this streak of like um, where they just kept on winning and winning. But uh, yeah, so but my choice is the Penguins, but it could be the any of those Kings or Blackhawks teams. I have a feeling you're going to go with one of those. Ah, uh, wrong. Although okay. they'll, those teams would be in my honorable mention for sure. I definitely put the 2013 Hawks right at the top because they were so dominant. Also, the 2018 Capitals. They'd probably be my secondary honorable That's mention just because Ovi finally got to hoist the Stanley Cup, and it was yeah. such a great feeling to watch That's a good uh, one for too. the first time. And I guess you could argue the 2017-18 Vegas Golden Knights because yep. of the run they had to the Cup Finals. Just That's in, another one. In the first year of their existence, that was remarkable to watch as well. Um, so if I had to pick those, uh, to pick three, probably be the 2013 Hawks, the 2018 okay. uh, Capitals, and the 20. 20- 17-18 Vegas Golden Knights that were three wins shy of their first cup in their first year of existence. That was okay. something uh, special. But 
none of them were to the level of the 2019 St. Louis Blues. I'm sorry, Brett, uh. Uh, to invoke more painful memories. But like this, this team on on paper, I get they were talented, and a lot of people thought they were going to win the Stanley Cup anyways. But people forget it wasn't looking good this time last mm-hmm. year. They they. I'd already made a coaching change. They were still a bottom five team. And it was around this exact same time where they turned to this kid named Jordan Bennington in Philadelphia. They get a huge win there. They start to turn things around in the middle of their improbable run. We hear about the story of Layla Anderson fighting against cancer. And that kid filled with strength becomes part of their championship run. And, and she just instantly becomes a part of the team and just that bond was something special and then the blues get to the playoffs and almost by the way again i can't emphasize this enough almost win the central division which at this point last year was unfathomable right and then they make the stanley cup finals and then they win it all and just the fact that throughout all of this throughout all of this losing not just at the start of the season but just in their history this was a team that was a part of the nhl's expansion 1967 expansion teams goes from 16 league to a 12 team league throughout their whole existence it's been about losing they've always been able to get to the playoffs i think they've only been able to miss the playoffs nine times which is pretty crazy considering they've been around for 50 plus years but still to go as long as like the early 1970s without even making the finals the stanley cup finals to never win a stanley cup and in just three months turn your season around then make the playoffs and then win the whole thing in june that has got to be one of the most memorable playoff performances I've ever seen by a group of athletes. And it's one of those playoff teams, one of those playoff runs that's always going to stick with me just because every single bit of their run had an additional story to it that made it all the more special. And um, it it was something watching that um, championship parade in June with all the fans there who had waited even longer than the players that won the championship to to feel this kind of excitement for themselves. And it was just an all-around great story. So they would be my team of this decade, the 2018-19 St. Louis Blues. Yeah, the only thing I will say is just the fact that they were one of the worst teams at one point during that season. Like, kind of takes it away from them like being the best team of the decade because they should be at least like somewhat decent um for the whole year but um i mean it's not to discredit what they were able to do for the second half of the year in the playoffs so i i guess it's a good choice but that was the main reason why i did i didn't put them out there by the way um the 2019-2020 st louis blues are 26 8 and 6 so uh that run to the playoffs appears to be no fluke yeah they are still doing well yeah that's not surprising um but what was the oh and i guess we could say that technically if you were just to count the regular season 
uh, the 2018-2019 Tampa Bay Lightning would win this yeah. in a landslide. Um, they, they would probably be the best team to not win a playoff game. Right. So, <laughs> right, right. So, but, like, unfortunately, you kind of have to win a playoff game. Like, they could have... <laughs> You know, so like they they could have lost in the Stanley Cup Finals or even in the Eastern Conference Finals, and I probably would have uh, probably would have given them an honorable mention. But the fact that they didn't even win a um, a a playoff game, I uh, it's hard to uh, to give them anything. Um, yeah, like if we if we give them any kind of mention, we might as well give. The 2009-2010 Capitals a mention, yeah, but true. they only won three playoff games that got bounced by a miracle run by Halak and the Habs. Yeah. So, so yeah, that about does it for us. Um, and Happy New Year, everyone. Um, this should be going out on the 30th. So, yeah, Happy New Year. Happy Holidays, everyone. Enjoy the, the Dallas-Nashville uh, Winter Classic. That should be fun. Yeah. Um, in the Cowboys Stadium. That. Um, so yeah, that, that about does it for us. Um, I think episode 200 is next week. Yep. Is that right? Next week. Um, to start out the new year, that, that should be, that's pretty exciting. Um, I, uh, so yeah, you can catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff. Um, our, um, there was something else. Okay. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Uh, that about does it for us. Um, I'm Brett Duboff. And Steve Ellsworth will talk again in a historic episode 200 of the Lace Up Podcast.